Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But that's this Saturday. Next Saturday, we'll be doing the broadcast from Jacksonville, Florida. We're going to be in Jacksonville for the Way Radio Rally. The rally is actually going to take place at the First Coast Baptist Church in Jacksonville. We'll uh, have it so that you can get home early enough to be ready for church the next morning from 6 till 8 there at the First Coast Baptist Church for the Way Radio Rally. We so appreciate Way Radio. They've carried our broadcast for a number of years. Looking forward to being able to be with those who listen each and every week to Way Radio and Prophecy Today. See you in Jacksonville next Saturday. We're going to have a lineup of our broadcast partners that will give you the latest information about current events and then the details behind those current events that seemingly are putting together a prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. We'll talk with Winky Madad at the beginning of the next half hour. Winky's going to give us insight into the recently released and an annual report from the United States on human rights. We'll see this report reaffirms that Jerusalem is the political capital of the Jewish state and that Israel has sovereignty over the Golan Heights. And then Sam Rohr. We're going to be talking about the crisis at the southern border. And it's not only political. We'll bring the biblical truth from God's word to deal on this issue. But right now we go to Ken Timmerman. Ken looks at geopolitical activities for us, a best-selling author. He is a world traveler, a journalist for many years in key locations of the world. And we always are thrilled and privileged to have Ken come to our broadcast table. Ken, talk to me about China. They are saying that the 25-year deal that they made with Iran, it is very risky, and they are concerned about, even in spite of the fact that it's bringing hope for influence in the Middle East for China, that this thing might fall apart. What do we know about the deal and what the possibilities are of concerns, especially to China and Iran? Well, Jimmy, this is a, a, a groundbreaking deal. We've been talking about it for uh, a couple of uh, weeks here on this broadcast. It was finally signed this past week in Tehran by the Chinese foreign minister and his Iranian counterpart. Uh, it is a 25-year economic and military agreement where the Chinese are, have agreed to invest $400 billion in Iran over the next 25 years much of it in the oil industry, the gas industry, but they will also be building ports and integrating Iran into their Belt and Road Initiative. Now, some analysts think that this could create difficulties for China with other countries in the region, such as the Saudis or the United Arab Emirates. But look, the Chinese are playing a long game here, and they are making very clear their foreign minister has also gone to Saudi Arabia and the UAE recently, trying to calm down their fears of this strategic arrangement with Iran. I think that China has understood they can outmaneuver the United States, the Biden administration, which has been very sluggish on the uptake here. 
It has not really been challenging China on this relationship. Remember also that over the past couple of months, China has dramatically expanded its illegal imports of Iranian oil, and the U.S. has said nothing about it. The Chinese have basically allowed Iran to get around U.S. sanctions since Biden took over on January 20th. And again, the U.S. is saying nothing about it. So I think the Chinese are playing a long game with Iran, and right now I see them winning. And at the same time that uh, the China representative is there in Iran, the general who has taken over the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, General Salami, has claimed invincibility for the enemies of Iran, even dreaming about a victory over this Islamic Republic. Is that a bunch of bravado, Ken? Well, it is, Jimmy, and this regime in Tehran thrives on victimization. So they thrive on this notion that they are surrounded by enemies, a hostile Jewish state and world conspiracy. They call the United States world arrogance. So this is how they stir up their base. But all of that aside, there is truth to General Salami's comment in a certain sense. They have the Revolutionary Guards has dramatically expanded its military capabilities in recent years. They've done that with help from communist China. They've done that with help from Russia. They've done it by tempering the steel of their warriors, if you wish, on the battlefield in Syria and in Yemen through these proxy battles. And we see that they have a focus on missile forces and on drones. And those drones recently they have launched from Yemen right into the royal palace of the king of Saudi Arabia, the Yemeni palace in Riyadh. So the Iranians do have greatly expanded military capabilities. They're getting into precision uh, drones and precision missiles, something that they did not have five or ten years ago. Let's look at our good old friend Erdogan over there in Turkey. He has put into a permanent position, you were just mentioning proxy forces, the jihadists. They're becoming Turkey's permanent proxy force. Talk to us about the danger of that. Well, again, this is something that has been building over the past couple of years. In particular, this is Turkey being involved in northern Syria, backing the radical ISIS offshoots there, who now are challenging the Kurds for control of that area in north eastern Syria. But they're also, Turkey has also recently used these fighters, these Syrian fighters, uh, sent them to Libya, where they have fought against pro-Western and pro-Egyptian forces there. He sent them recently also to Azerbaijan to battle with the Armenians. So Turkey is not just engaged itself in northern Syria, but it's using this jihadi force that it is recruited, that it's supplying, it's maintaining, it's training, it's arming. It's using this force as proxies against others in the region that it does not want to confront directly. And that is a new development. The war-torn country of Iraq, its prime minister, is seeking to boost ties in the first visit that they are going to have with Saudi Arabia. The Iraqis need some good help and assistance there in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia could be that help, could they not? Well, that's what the Iraqis are hoping. But the prime minister 
has to really appease the Saudis, reassure them that Iraqi territory is not going to be used by Iranian proxies to attack them. So Prime Minister uh, al-Kadimi, the Iraqi, really had to focus on that in his talks with the king and with Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, because uh, there were attacks not too long ago against Saudi Arabia that an Iraqi-based militia that was supported by Iran claimed they had launched from Iraqi territory. So Prime Minister Kadimi had to reassure the Saudis that there hadn't been attacks in the past from Iraq. Now, he may have been just saying that, but much more important than what happened in the past is his promise that there will not be any attacks in the future. And that's absolutely key if he is going to unlock Saudi help for Iraq's flailing economy. Can you all recognize the old saying that politics does make strange bedfellows? And I open that thought up for the information I want to find out from you about the warming relationships between Turkey and Egypt. Is this some type of a sign of shifting geopolitical activities? Uh, Well, a very early sign. Look, remember this, that Turkey broke off relations with Egypt in 2013 after uh, Mohammed al-Morsi, the Muslim Brotherhood president, was deposed in a popular revolution that ultimately led to brought General al-Sisi to power. So Turkey had been backing the Muslim Brotherhood. Turkey is a Muslim Brotherhood country uh, run by the Muslim Brotherhood, supporting the Muslim Brotherhood worldwide. Remember, it was the Muslim Brotherhood that gave rise to to uh, al-Qaeda, to um, bin Laden, and to ISIS. So uh, this, is the, this is the parentage that we're looking at here. Just recently, and this is just beginning to happen over the past week, 10 days or so, Jimmy, Turkey has been putting out feelers to al-Sisi's government that, well, maybe we should bury the hatchet between us. The Turks sent a tugboat into the Suez Canal to help free up that enormous, that gigantic roll-on, roll-off cargo ship that was stuck in the canal and blocking traffic for many days. But this is just the very beginning. Turkey still is the home to a number of Egyptian opposition television networks, reporters who have been revealing some of the corruption going on in Egypt, including claims that President al-Sisi is building himself uh, magnificent palaces with the money of the people of Egypt. This has been very embarrassing to him. Will the Turks curb those television networks? That would be the next step if they really, really do want to cement a new relationship with uh, General al-Sisi and with Egypt. We'll have to see. But this is just this is something that is just starting to develop, Jimmy. We'll have to uh, keep eyes on this in the coming months. Yes, we certainly will, because both Egypt and Turkey, major players in the end-time scenario that's found in Bible prophecy. I'll deal with that when I take a look at the book just a bit later on this broadcast. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical events happening around the world. Great report, Ken. Thank you so much for staying on top of all of these things and then giving us your insight. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you so much, Jimmy. God bless, and uh, I hope that all of our listeners have a blessed, blessed Resurrection Sunday. Absolutely, and I like that phrase, Resurrection Sunday. Well, we'll take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan standing by with his Middle East News Update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, and I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga. Remember, next Saturday we'll do the broadcast from Jacksonville, Florida, and then have the Way Radio Rally there at the First Coast Baptist Church. Come and join us, if you will. Ken Timmerman just told me that, indeed, he may be there. I'd love to introduce him to you. Maybe he'll have a word or two to say. That's next Saturday, Jacksonville, Florida, Way Radio Rally at the First Coast Baptist Church. Now, I was promised our Middle East news update with David Dolan. David, as we're looking at news in the Middle East, China has come into Iran, signed a 25-year agreement, and a $400 billion, that's a B, $400 billion investment by China in Iran. The Israelis must be very much concerned. What can you tell us about those concerns? Well, Jimmy, they knew that China was having quite a bit of dealings with Iran. It's no secret that Iran has been illegally selling its oil to China and that it has sanctions against those sales, but it's doing it anyway. Billions of dollars a year of uh, oil passing that way. So that's been happening for some time. But this announcement of this package, huge package, did come as quite a shock uh, in Jerusalem. They weren't quite expecting that. And, of course, it's a major political coup, as it were, for Iran to have one of the world's biggest countries, well, population-wise, the biggest, and the second biggest economy that soon may become number one 
to have them backing them and on their side is very, very important. But again, we've had naval exercises involving Chinese ships, also Russian, of course, with the Iranians. So just reminding the United States and Israel and Western European countries that uh, Iran does have some powerful big friends. And, of course, as you look at the alignment of nations in the Middle East, we can see why that is a key political move for China and Iran. And that has encouraged Benjamin Netanyahu, who is leading with the number of Knesset members that were elected in this recent election in Israel. Not enough to yet form a coalition government. But he is now calling for all right-wing parties to come together and form, though their rivals, come together and form a coalition government. Is that a viable possibility or not, David? Well, Jimmy, it would be a very easy thing to do if it just wasn't the personalities involved and the tough stands they've taken. Indeed, uh, the Prime Minister pointed out, correctly, that the right-wing bloc took 65 seats, one 65 seats in the Knesset. A majority is 61. So the right is far ahead of the left, and the left is more divided in that 14 of those seats are Arab seats that usually don't join the government, and there are some other differences between the parties. But it's the personalities of three men Bibi Netanyahu, of course, on trial for corruption, and that begins uh, next week again. He's asking the court to let him sit out the first month, at least, until a government is formed. Naftali Bennett, American-born, the head of the Yamina party with seven seats. And then Gidon Saar, a former Likud minister, a former comrade of Netanyahu, as Bennett was as well, never in the Likud, but he, well, he briefly was in the Likud, but he's been allied with the prime minister. Uh, So why couldn't they sit again together in a government? That's what Netanyahu is saying. We're the right wing. We can form a solid right wing government that won't uh, be reliant on the Arabs or centrist or leftist parties or anything like that. But uh, Sa'ar in particular has dug in his heels and said, I will not sit with that man. I will not have him as my boss again. I'm not joining a Likud-led government as long as Netanyahu is the leader of the Likud party. So we'll just see, but Netanyahu could, as I pointed out last week, woo some of the members of those parties, individual Knesset members, to back him. And that has happened before where they've left their little parties and joined the big ones. So there's different ways he can do it, but it looks like a lot of horse trading ahead. David, I've heard some reports that uh, the Biden administration and Joe Biden himself tried to interfere in these most recent elections there in Israel. And now the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, is making a statement. He said the two-state solution in Israel would work out best for the future. Now, that's not necessarily interfering in the elections, but it may interfere in the coming together of a coalition government. What do you know? Well, it's always a major factor in the negotiations for a government who's doing what with the United States. Still Israel's strongest ally, its most important friend, and uh, one that they want on board. Like I've said several times, they're not surprised in Jerusalem that 
a Democratic Party administration would revert to what has traditionally been Democratic Party policy, which is the two-state solution, uh, support for the Palestinians and some other things. And we did have an announcement this week, quiet announcement, that financial aid is being restored from the White House to the Palestinians. So millions of American tax dollars now again flowing to the PA. It's a big issue, Jimmy. But again, as I've said before, the Israelis are not really expecting the peace process with the Palestinians to go anywhere at this time. There's no ground conditions for that. There's still that deep rivalry between Hamas and the PA, and there's problems all around. But most importantly, there's the build-up to conflict and Iran's vowing to crush Israel. So it's just not the moment for peace talks to really succeed, and yet uh, the Biden administration is pursuing that as part of its turn away in almost every area from Trump administration policies. Well, you talked about Biden administration ramping up some of the funding for the Palestinian Authority and doing that quietly. There's an upcoming election for the Palestinian people as well. That's going to impact that election, will it not? Well, again, Jimmy, there are some opinion polls already coming out showing that probably the radical Hamas party will once again, like they did in 2006, the last time there was parliamentary elections quite a while ago, that they will come out on top. They will win a majority of the seats. It was based on that, by the way, Jimmy, that the next year they took over the Gaza Strip. They said, we're the legitimate government, not the PLO or the PA. We won more seats than they did, and that's true. So that may happen again. And of course, if that does happen, that really is a death nail in any possible talks, peace talks. Hamas still officially calling for Israel's total annihilation, no talks with the Zionist entity, etc. That's in their charter. That hasn't been changed. This last week, the eight-day Jewish feast of Passover, they had the pronouncement twice, two days, Monday and Wednesday of the priestly blessings there at the Western Wall Plaza in Jerusalem. But at the same time, I understand that a number of Jewish worshipers were able to go up onto the Temple Mount during these very special holy days. That was a victory as far as they're concerned, but the Palestinian Authority says that is a provocation. What do we know about this entrance by the Jews up onto the Temple Mount? Well, Jimmy, the reports I've seen that uh, several thousand Jewish worshipers went up there. There were pictures in the newspapers of them actually holding prayer meetings facing the same direction towards the old temple, of course, whereas the Muslims, when they pray on the Temple Mount, they have their backs to the position of the old temple. They face Mecca. But uh, the Jews were up there in record numbers. And, Jimmy, on Friday, the Palestinians were joined by Jordan in complaining about that. Jordan is the official representative for the Temple Mount, according to the peace treaty that Israel and Jordan signed in 1994. And they said this is violating the status quo, that the status quo does not allow for any Jewish prayers on the Temple Mount. Jewish tourists can go up there in limited numbers, but no prayer services, nor for Christians, they pointed out. So they're complaining about that. The Israelis are saying in response, well, you know, this is the site of our ancient temple. This is our holiest site on earth, not Mecca, not Medina, not Rome. It's right here. 
and we're going to, uh, you know, allow prayer. But for the Israeli police to have not broken up uh, those prayer meetings that were photographed was quite something, Jimmy, because in the past they always did that. And now there is obviously a new policy, and the Palestinians, the Jordanians, and other Muslims just don't like it. And as the ancient Jewish prophet Zechariah said, chapter 12 and verse 2, that site, the Temple Mount, is going to be the center of controversy in the last days. And because of that, we bring David Dolan to this broadcast table to give us each week his Middle East news update. David, thank you. Great report. Appreciate you being on top of all that's happening there in that key region of the world and reporting that to us. We'll have another conversation next week. I'm blessed to do it, Jimmy, and God bless and a happy Easter. Thank you so very much. We're going to take a break. Winky Madad standing by. He's going to get into that annual release of the U.S. Human Rights Report reaffirming that Jerusalem is the political capital of the Jewish state of Israel. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We move into our second half hour. Winky Madad standing by in Israel. We'll go to him uh, to talk about a very important report issued this last week by the United States and a potpourri of other items we'll cover with Winky as well. I want to tell you about next Saturday, a week from today, Judy and I will be in Jacksonville, Florida. We'll be there for the Way Radio Rally in Jacksonville, and it's going to be held at the First Coast Baptist Church. Activities will take place between 6 and 8 o'clock. We'll be answering some prophecy questions, first of all, and then talking about the holidays that Christians have been going through and how that relates to what's going to happen in Bible prophecy. Well, let's go now to Winky Madad. Winky, this last week, the United States issued their annual human rights report. Now, I had an opportunity to be able to look through some of it and was very interested as to what I found. For example, it looks like the Biden administration has reaffirmed Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish state. Now, that's good news, isn't it? Yes, it is. 
uh, it seems they are going along with some of the language that the Trump administration had improved upon over the past administrations. That's correct. And at the same time, also it's reaffirming the fact that Israel has sovereignty over the Golan Heights, which is a key security location as it relates to the Jewish people, especially there in the Galilee. That is correct. Although, Jimmy, they have replaced some of the language that had been switched by the Trump administration. They're now back to using the term occupied. But as long as these reports correctly reflect what is going on in the ground in terms of human rights and religious freedoms, that these reports, uh, and there's several of them, uh, walking around there, if you look around on Google and search for them, I don't have any problem. It's when these reports simply echo a lot of the NGOs, these uh, non-governmental organizations that frequently work on behalf of the Palestinian uh, National Authority, and then it's less facts than their agenda that they're pushing that sneaks their way into the State Department reports. I did notice myself they are using that term, occupied territories. Take a moment, Winky. For us here in America, define that terminology, occupied territories. Well, in international law, when one state engages in hostilities of any kind, in other words, initiated or in defense, and takes over territory of another state, that's called belligerent occupation. In other words, not that the occupation is belligerent, but that it results from an act of war or hostility. Now, that they tried to apply to Israel's administration over Judea and Samaria, and as I think I've said several times on this program for our veteran listeners, that is wrong. In the first place, Palestine never existed as a state. It was a mandate, and then Jordan, the kingdom of Jordan, took it over. Not any country in the world or even the United Nations recognized that officially or legally as a proper annexation, and so they were the real illegal occupiers. And secondly, of course, is uh, the fact that Israel has a better claim to Judea and Samaria because that was the territory the previous international organization, the League of Nations, uh, which the United Nations took over, recognized as the territory of the Jewish national home. So to use occupation to describe what Israel is doing in Judea and Samaria is simply wrong factually. And it's a propaganda ploy, I would think, from the Palestinian people to use the terms to dupe the entire world as to who really has the rights to that piece of real estate. Would you agree? That is the exact purpose. Sometimes neutral terms can be twisted and, and turned around if you use them the wrong way enough times. For example, I mean, even the term occupation. I mean, in normal conversation, you might be asked what your job is. But when you look at the paper, it'll say, what's your occupation? Or how are you occupying your time? In other words, words or terms must be carefully looked at, Jimmy, for their influence or their importance as reflecting issues that have nothing to do with the terms. I say continually, especially when I'm teaching the Bible, 
words do have meanings, and you have to have the right meaning with the words that you are using. Well, going back to that report that the United States issued this last week, looks like they have still remained on focus that Hamas is a terrorist organization. That's also good, is it not? It is very good. Uh, Unfortunately, the EU, the European Union, uh, is not in line with the United States' viewpoint on this. And many of their projects that they support are lending an advantage to Hamas by they refusing to recognize that Hamas is a terrorist organization and willfully blind themselves by saying, well, Hamas is also a social welfare organization that sets up schools and camps and other things while not realizing that a lot of the terror activity grows and is nurtured actually in these so-called social welfare projects. The other issue, of course, and I, I want to move on to something else, Jimmy, is that if Hamas participates in these upcoming elections, if they do take place in the Palestinian Authority, Israel is going to be faced with a very difficult dilemma because Fatah is already split into three or four different factions, whereas Hamas is only one. And these are other elections to look at, which I think we should pay attention to. Speaking of elections, let's pay attention to what's going on in the recent Israeli elections. Are they advancing towards being able to form a coalition government, or are they just at a standstill right now, Winky? Well, yes and no. (laughs) They are advancing because there are different talks taking place within the two, shall I call them camps, the two sides, those who wish that Netanyahu continue to be prime minister and those who would like to replace him. But I understand that as a result of talks, both on Friday and one that's supposed to take place on Saturday night between Naftali Bennett, who runs a party called Yamina, with Netanyahu and with Lapid are the two other persons involved. But actual negotiations will not take place until after the president receives this coming week all the factions that have been elected and listens to their recommendations uh, upon whom he should place the ability or give him a license to begin to or to open negotiations officially to set up a coalition. I want to ask you, Winky, and I should have opened up this conversation with Chak which is the Hebrew greeting for having blessed high holy days since you are still in the days of the Passover eight-day celebration. Everything going well? Excitement about the priestly blessings? Were you able to get to Jerusalem for the pronouncement of the priestly blessings? Well, Jimmy, I was in Jerusalem this past week, but I wasn't at the Western Wall. I think you know me too well not to be a suspect that I went up onto the Temple Mount. I ascended the Temple Mount. I walked around the special circuit that is uh, approved uh, for those who are strictly observant of the rules of sanctity at the Temple Mount. And as distinct from years past, it went very easy. The police were not too interfering at all. And many times they were very uh, accommodating. There were some groups that managed to, to pray, in fact, audibly at the far eastern wall of the Temple Mount, which faces the Dome of the Rock, where we believe that the 
main temple courtyards uh, were when the building and, and, and the whole complex existed. And so it was very uplifting. It was almost as if we were doing the biblical pilgrimage. Wow, what a great report. Before we went on the air, I did not ask Winky about if he'd been up onto the Temple Mount on this special Passover Holy Days. But that's a great report, Winky. Praise the Lord for the opportunity for you to be there. I guess you were just really thrilled and felt like you were closer to the God than any other time that you could be, right? Well, that is the purpose. That is the feeling. We want to be able to continue to exhibit our commitment that the uh, Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, is where the temples stood, where the third temple, according to our counting, will be built, where all mankind will come and begin to actually approach the level of commitment to not only to God, but to each other as humankind should. And I think that's the most important symbolic importance of the temple in Jerusalem. And if we can do that, and we can continue to ascend and to, and, and to walk around and to murmur, if necessary, some of the prayers or the psalms, that is our dedication, and I think that is well known. And as you know, I've been a veteran activist on this issue. It's, it's a lot different than decades ago, and I'm thankful for that. That's the voice of Winky Madad, a very happy voice indeed. Winky, thank you for giving us some updates on the issues we discussed today. Hak Sameach to you, my friend, and we'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much. Hak Sameach to you, and goodbye to you and the listeners. We're going to change regions of the world now from the Middle East to the European Union. There's a man who's lived in that area for over 30 years, actually in Brussels, Belgium. John Rood is his name. He's our broadcast partner as it relates to the European Union. And, John, I want to get right underway. I understand there's a report coming out of Europe that the European Union is investing over $13 million into illegal Muslim land grab in Israel. What's this all about? There's a lot of background to this story, and $13 million that mentioned, this is just a, a drop in the bucket from the European Union. They've actually spent a total of $3 billion in violation of international law against the Oslo Accords and to bring control over areas that have been established under Israeli control. A lot of it is a construction and development projects. There actually was a documentary in Israel with undercover people and encountering in the Palestinian Authority and EU officials, sort of what they're calling a European Union century project, which essentially is to uh, completely neutralize Israel's uh, influence. And so it's stated this way that never before has there been such a blatant interference in the international in, in the internal affairs of any country in the world by the European Union and I think we do know that and we will d indeed stay on top of this story with John at the same time John I understand that there are some EU presidents who are going to visit Turkey this next week I'm talking about the president of the European Council and the European Commission. 
What's the trip to Turkey all about? Well, this is sort of an exceptional event. It has happened once before uh, early last year. So the president of the EU Council, uh, Charles Michel, and then the European Commission president, Ursula von der Leyen, they actually traveled to Turkey to meet with uh, President Erdogan. And it appears, you know, that there's a, a period of intense conflict and engagement, and then it's turned around that, you know, to be more uh, pleasant in terms of finding solutions. So there seems to be a pattern that this is the second time it's happened, and uh, Turkey is exerting a great amount of force over the EU at this particular time, and we know there's a lot of conflict there with France, as we'll hear later. And at the same time, the Europeans are saying that Iran will be their greatest post-coronavirus security threat. Talk to us about that. Well, Iranian threat is certainly... uh, the greatest in the region, and it was the uh, ex-former Secretary of State, CIA head, uh, Mike Pompeo, who's come out and uh, stresses the urgency of the situation and stressing for the E3, uh, France, Germany, and the UK, to unite and take action against Iran and avoid a potential you know, nuclear confrontation. He's basically stating that President Biden has miscalculated the entire threat. Although he's not giving in completely, he said he's not going to reimburse Iran for money that was lost. The U.S. will not re-enter the nuclear deal until Iran stops enriching uranium. It doesn't appear to be happening. Uh, interesting figure is that since President Trump's withdrawal from the nuclear deal, It's estimated that that cost the Iranian economy $1 trillion. And that is a lot of change that the Iranians are going to have to deal with. John, a great report. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thank you so very much. Well, speaking of political activities, we're going to focus now not on the European Union, but the United States, and in particular, its southern border. I'll bring a former political leader in the Senate of Pennsylvania for over 20 years. Now he's the host of a radio and television operation, Stand in the Gap Today. Talking about the Honorable Sam Rohr. Sam, I I was looking at the news and watching what's going on in our southern border. And in connection with my study of the Word of God, the Nation of Israel, I remember that many times in the Bible we see the word borders used, and especially in light of the state of Israel. God, in 38 passages in the Old Testament, gives us the biblical borders for the state of Israel in the future. So I understand borders are key. But borders in the United States, especially here at the southern border between the United States and Mexico, is today in a crisis, and this is, uh, should be, I do believe, and will you agree with me, Sam, it should be of a great concern to all of us? Well, Jimmy, absolutely, and and really for a couple of reasons. From a civil government perspective, the definition of nation is is this. It's It's a group of people that have a common language, have a common view of God, common God, and a common boundary. 
so if you take out any one of those, you cease to have a nation. Now, that's from a civil perspective. So how can you have laws that pertain to a civil authority if you don't have the boundaries of what that civil authority is? The United States can't make laws for Mexico. Mexico can't make laws for the United States. But if you erase the boundaries, you create confusion. And I believe, Jimmy, at, at the end of the day, that's why God created that. Now, I think of the passage in, in, uh, in Acts 17, 26, when Paul was talking to the, uh, the folks there on Mars Hill, he made a comment. He said, God hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath, and I think this is key, determined the times before appointed and the boundaries of their habitations. You know, boundaries are God's idea. So on the spiritual side, not only from a civil perspective, are boundaries necessary to determine limitations, jurisdictions of authority, civil authority, which God created. But from God's perspective, God established boundaries. God works through nations. And in the foreknowledge of God, he laid out, as Paul said there, the actual boundaries of the nations through whom God said he would work. So when any time anyone says, I don't care about boundaries, I'm going to eliminate or I'm not going to protect, it's really an affront to the God of heaven, in addition to a violation of the civil laws of whatever country they represent. Sam, that's a great verse. Quote it one more time. Just give us the location in the Bible so people can write that down. It's from the book of Acts, chapter 17, and verse 26. And again, that's where it says, God hath made of one blood all nations of men, all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth. And God hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds or the boundaries of their habitation. So geographically... God did not just lay out the boundaries for Israel, which you referred to clearly. He laid out the boundaries for the nations of the world. I mean, literally, you talk, and we talk on our Stand on the Gap Today program when you're on with us uh, regularly. We, we talk about the boundaries in the Middle East. We talk about the boundaries of the prophesied nations, of uh, the nations of the East, the nations of the North, and Russia, or Turkey, or Syria. How could you have a country without boundaries? And borders. So, literally, you cannot talk about prophecy. You cannot talk about God's sovereign plan of redemption as it's carried out. And you cannot talk about how God has promised to work his plan through the nations of the world unless you have boundaries to determine the nations of the world. Sam, just a moment ago, I opened our conversation talking about a crisis at the southern border of the United States. However, President Joe Biden and his administration do not want to call it a crisis. Is it a crisis or not? Jimmy, there is no way to describe what is happening down there other than a crisis. When you have unlimited, and and what the border agents are saying is that no one is being turned back. So it's unfiltered, which means you are having people, including terrorists. You are having enemies of this nation pouring across the border. That is obviously a problem. We're finding that they're coming across, and over 50% of the numbers I've seen 
of them are testing positive for COVID and who knows whatever else disease they are bringing in. So that's another one. And uh, I just heard today the latest reports come out. They're saying of the women and children that are coming across, 80% was the number that was reported today, uh, are, are indicating that they have been raped one or more times. Jimmy, if that is not a crisis, then I do not know what it is. But, you know, when you turn your back on the God of heaven and you turn your back on the uh, basic things of the law and justice and the purpose of government to protect those who do well and punish those who do evil, what God lays out, when you turn your back on the God of heaven, you can't end up with anything other than a crisis and chaos and confusion. Sam, as a former political leader in the state of Pennsylvania and having a mindset of a political person, let me ask you this. Do you believe that Joe Biden and his administration can get the southern border under control? Um, Well, let's put it this way. In theoretical terms, yes, because uh, Donald Trump had it under control. So they could because they exercised the power of government. But the question is, will they? And the answer is, no, I do not think they will. And the reason is, is that the Marxists, uh, which include the Marxist mentality of this president and the, and the Democrats generally, have been fighting and trying to keep an open border for a long time. So why would a Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or the Democrat majority in Washington right now, why would they want to go back and do anything differently than what they have been doing for years and years. So the answer is, could he? Yes. The answer is, will he? I don't see any reason why he will change. I I believe they are wanting to create chaos and crisis, because it fits the agenda uh, of the Marxist agenda to try try to take down this nation, and that is to create division, create confusion, um, and then people will ultimately cry out for government to help them. We as God's people should be crying out to the God of heaven. He's the only one. I know that you and I both would agree we believe America is a great place to live. And America has always been open for people of other nations to come. In fact, every one of us would have to go back as we follow down the line that it was somebody from another nation who actually came here to help establish America. But the policy has to be they come legally, doesn't it? Yes, it absolutely does, you know. And, Jimmy, I've spoken on this before because those who have been in favor of open borders, and in the past years during the Obama administration, there were actually, quote-unquote, Christian leaders and organizations that were supporting open borders and letting people coming through, and they, were, they would cite the idea that we are to bring in the strangers and open our arms to the strangers. Isn't that what America did? And, and sound very compassionate but they violated Scripture. Jimmy, there's a verse I take you to in Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 7. And, and God is telling Isaiah, telling the people of Israel through Isaiah, he said, O sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, and basically you've walked away from what I have done. He said, your whole head is sick, your whole heart is faint. And he said is this, your country will become desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your land, strangers, devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. Jimmy, that word strangers is the, is the Hebrew word zur, and it means a stranger, 
as in an enemy, one who wants to come in but who will not assimilate. And that is totally different from the word stranger in the, further back in the Old Testament, where it's a person who wants to come into a country, uh, and that's why God told Israel, if a person comes into your country and they, and they come because of the God of heaven, because they see what God has done in the blessing of your nation Israel, you bring that person in and you treat them as one of your own. But that's a completely different word. And that is why when we as a nation bring people in who do not want to assimilate and do not want to know the God of heaven, we actually bring in the very seeds of our destruction. And that is what's happening. And again, it's a result of people turning their back on the God of heaven and say, we've got a better way. It never works out if we think we can do something better than what God said. It just never does. If you've been listening to the conversation that I'm having with Sam Rohr, I bet you thought this was going to be a bit of a political conversation. However, Sam brought his Bible along for this conversation and undergirded our thinking with what God's Word has to say. Great, great conversation with you, Sam. Appreciate it so much. And I guess I'll see you next on your radio broadcast a couple of weeks from now. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. We've got one more conversation with a broadcast partner, David James. We're going to be talking about Christian schools who they say should not be participating in March Madness. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to the last half hour of our 90-minute broadcast, Prophecy Today. So glad you could stay along with us. Please answer the poll question. It's on the home page of my website, prophecytoday.com. Scroll down on the left-hand column. You'll find the question. Here's the question. Do you believe that the biblical record of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ found in Matthew chapters 27 and 28 are correct and the foundation for the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 5, the gospel, the way to salvation for all of us? That's the poll question. Please go there and answer that question. want to remind you that next Saturday, that will be April the 10th, we'll be in Jacksonville, Florida. We'll be there for the Way Radio Rally. It's Saturday the 10th at the First Coast Baptist Church there in Jacksonville, and the time will be 6 to 8 p.m. Be sure to come see us for the Way Radio Rally. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation. We look at events happening in our world that really have a significance to the Christian community, and then David and I endeavor to give you a biblical prophetic perspective on what the deal is. We're going to be looking at cancel culture, and the Christian universities, which are next in line to be having to deal with this particular current event in our world. 
David, we're going to have a good conversation because this has connections to the March Madness, the basketball tournaments between the universities. We'll explain that more in a moment. Uh, But we're going to continue the regular practice that we have of receiving questions about the end times and how to properly understand various related details in Scripture. And this week, no exception. What's the question, David? Sure. Well, one of the questions we received is related to Mark thirteen thirty two, where Jesus says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And our listener asks, with the tribulation being seven years, and knowing when it begins, can't people count seven years from that time? Granted, believers are gone, he says, but for those left behind, would they then not know when to expect the return of Christ? So to answer the question, Jimmy, uh, we need to keep several things in mind, including what is said, what is not said, when and to whom it's said, and what will happen in the future. So first, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and not directly to the generation that will be alive when he returns, and he's speaking in the present tense, so he says no one knows not no one will be able to know in the future. So the disciples didn't yet know the details of many future events at that point in time, including the rapture. And if you don't know when the rapture will be, then you can't know when the second coming will be. And secondly, there's a gap of unknown duration between the rapture and the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. So the rapture uh, isn't a time marker either. And then finally, the exact day when the Daniel 9 treaty is affirmed, I would say that may not be made known publicly for any number of days or weeks, even if a signing is public. So the 2,520 days from the affirmation of that treaty to Christ's return, I would say likely won't be known except maybe by one or two people. And especially those people that are studying the Word of God and get an understanding of it. Good question, good answer, David. Before we get to our main topic for the week, wanted to mention that you're headed out for your first international trip in over a year this weekend. Talk to us about it. Yeah, that's right, Jimmy, and I'm looking forward to it. So, Lord willing, uh, next week I'll be speaking with you from outside Kiev, Ukraine, where I'll be teaching at the Word of Life Bible Institute for the next two weeks. Uh, you know, my last international trip was to Word of Life Uganda and Ethiopia last February, and I've had seven trips canceled since then, and as a result, I've had to record a, a 32-class course and upload it to YouTube for Seminary in Africa. Then I've done two symposiums and taught four courses by Zoom, and all of those courses were through a translator. And if I hadn't been able to travel this time, or if I'm not yet able to travel, uh, I have to go through a translator into Russian for these two weeks, and that's been very difficult for the students and, and for me as a teacher and for the translator. I had to take a COVID test on Friday, and I have to get the results back before I get to the airport on Sunday afternoon or they won't let me on the plane, and so I'll know I'm actually going when I finally am sitting on that plane because there's now saying because of Easter weekend, I may not get the results back in time. If I do, uh, I'll be teaching God's plan through the ages next week, and the whole staff will be sitting in on that. And then the following week, uh, the course, Science Wonders and the Charismatic Movement, and of course I have to get a COVID test 
before coming back to the U.S. as well. So it's still quite a mess. Yeah, and quite a rigmarole that you're going to have to go to to be able to get there. We'll be praying for you. Well, David, last week we dealt with a concern about cancel culture and as it relates to world missions. This week, an article written by Al Mohler caught our attention because it deals with how the cancel culture, that mentality, could endanger Christian institutions of higher learning. Talk to us about that. Al Mohler is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and even though we would have some strong theological disagreements with him. He is an astute observer of culture, I would say. And last week he wrote an article titled, They're Coming for Oral Roberts University, and that means they are coming for you too. And here's the background to the story. Oral Roberts was a Cinderella story in the NCAA playoffs this year when they made it to the Sweet 16. But they were eliminated last Saturday in a loss to Arkansas, but that wasn't before there was a call for their exclusion on ideological grounds. And Mueller was referring to an article by Hamal Haveri, a race and inclusion editor for USA Today's sports media group. And when ORU made it to the Sweet 16, she wrote this, Part of the joy of March Madness has always been watching smaller schools upset powerhouse programs because everyone loves an underdog. People take their improbable run to heart and celebrate the tiny evangelical university in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then she continued, and yet, as the spotlight grows on Oral Roberts and it reaps the goodwill, publicity, and revenue of a national title run, the university's deeply bigoted anti-LGBTQ plus policies can't stand and shouldn't be ignored. And then finally she said, that Christian school upholds the values and beliefs of its fundamentalist namesake, making it not just a relic of the past, but wholly incompatible with the NCAA's own stated values of equality and inclusion. David, talk to me about what Al Mueller actually had to say about his concerns with the USA Today article and why he thinks this should be of great concern for Bible-believing Christians in general. Well, he expresses his concern about the bigger issue and where this is going when he points out in his article that the USA Today column reveals not only a secular indictment of one institution, but rather an indictment of any Christian college, university, institution, chartered organization, church, or denomination, he says, that would dare to stand against the headwinds of the moral and sexual revolution. And then Moeller quotes Haveri's article, where she's apparently wanting to shock readers when she writes, Twice in their student handbook, Oral Roberts specifically prohibits homosexuality in their student conduct section under personal behavior. The school expressly condemns homosexuality, mentioning it in the same breath as occult practices. So, Jimmy, I went to the ORU website and checked out that part of the student handbook she was referring to, and this is what it says. Students are expected to maintain the highest standards of integrity, honesty, modesty, and morality. Certain behaviors are expressly prohibited in Scripture and therefore should be avoided by the university community. Then the handbook notes that these behaviors include theft, lying, dishonesty, gossip, slander, backbiting, profanity, vulgarity, sexual promiscuity, which includes homosexuality, drunkenness, and occult practices. And then going back to Moeller's article, he makes this observation, and rightly so, 
To be clear, this student handbook reflects biblical Christianity. It's the same basic code held at Boyce College and Southern Seminary and the vast majority of evangelical institutions. This is exactly what you would expect to find at any legitimately Christian organization. David, I know that you and I both would never endorse Oral Roberts University because of its extreme charismatic theology. However, there's a principle at stake here because it's just one of many NCA schools. I think we need to think further along this line. Talk to us about that. Right. Well, before I get to that, Jimmy, let me just make one uh, final comment about that last observation by Mower. You know, you and I have been in Christian education for decades, and the vast majority of my ministry has been in Bible institutes where young adults, they're just learning to develop biblical convictions and to stand on their own. And most schools I've taught in around the world have a standard of conduct built on biblical principles, and I'm concerned that here in this country, if they're coming after Oral Roberts and the NCAA starts bowing to pressure, then a lot of schools are, could be in serious trouble. You know, Jimmy, I did some checking, and I had no idea there were so many Christian schools in the NCAA. Here are just some of the NCAA Division One schools that are Christian. And, of course, these would include Catholic and liberal Protestant schools, but the point remains. Abilene Christian, Baylor, Gonzaga, Pepperdine, Samford, Duke, LaSalle, Liberty, Loyola, Marquette, Seton Hall, Southern Methodist, Texas Christian, and Xavier. And, and on top of that, I counted over 50 Division two and three schools that include colleges and universities like Notre Dame, Biola, Azusa Pacific, Calvin College, Dallas Baptist, Houghton, Letourneau, and Wheaton. Now, of course, not all of those would have conservative, biblically-based standards of conduct, but that can actually make the problem worse for those that do, as more and more schools that are Christian, at least in name, give in to government and societal pressure. Boy, that's an interesting list that you gave us there of those who have some association with Christianity that are involved not only as universities, but members of the NCAA as well. David, how do you see this playing out in the coming months and even years? Do you think that this could have a major impact on Christian higher education as we know it today? Well, Jimmy, Paul Barreca and I were just talking about this on the phone the other day, and Paul is a former pastor and the current director of Fellowship International Mission, and he's also one of the co-founders of the Alliance for Biblical Integrity, so he's very much keeping his eye on these kinds of things, and he believes, and I agree, that this could be the wedge issue that activists and left-wing politicians have been looking for to force Christian schools to either compromise their stands for biblical truth and principles or to close up shop. When you take a large NCAA Division I school like Liberty University that's already been rocked by scandal over the past year, what are they going to do if they lose their NCAA status? And what happens if that just sets the stage for losing federal funding through financial assistance for their large student body? Uh, and I'm not sure there's really much in between compromising or closing. And then on top of that, you have the Equality Act that we've discussed before, and what seems to be some sort of preemptive move, BaptistNews.com reported this week that 25 faith-based schools are named in a class action lawsuit filed against the Department of Education. So this thing is heating up, and combined with the challenges and uh, the shift to online learning due to COVID, I'm not sure how many schools are going to be able to survive uh, if this starts getting tested. 
and because Christian schools aren't churches. David, this is a very informative report that we needed to be able to discuss today. I am concerned as well. You're exactly right. Your ministry, my ministry, much involved in education, both the elementary, high school education, but university level education as well. Something we're going to have to watch very, very closely. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. We'll have another conversation similar to this on an issue next week, David. Hope to see you then. I hope it'll be from Ukraine. Thanks so much. And if it is, we'll be talking to you from the Ukraine. Well, we're going to have to take a break right now. I've got a number of issues that the broadcast partners brought to the table. We're going to bring them forefront and then open the Bible. Take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. I have written a book entitled Sound the Trumpets. This book looks at four major trends given to us in the prophetic passages of God's Word. This book will look at an alignment of nations who will form a coalition to wipe Israel off the face of the earth that their name be forgotten forever. That's Psalm 83 and verse 4. Now this book would help you to better understand why all of the activity that is going on in the Middle East current events is actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. It will be a great source of information that will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. Go to my prophecy bookstore, prophecytoday.com, then to the bookstore to make your purchase of the book, Sound the Trumpets. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we had six of our broadcast partners join us at the broadcast table to give us details behind the headlines that are being covered by mainstream media. However, mainstream media cannot give you details behind these reports on these current events like our broadcast partners can. We do this service for you on a weekly basis so that you can know where we are in God's end times calendar. If you did not have an opportunity to hear all six of our broadcast partners with their reports, 
you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN. That will be on the right-hand column of the home page as you scroll down. And there you will find all six of the reports archived and ready for you to listen to them at your convenience. Please remember to tell a family member or a friend about these reports. That's prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now, on this day before Resurrection Sunday, I want to give you my prophetic perspective on the news covered by my broadcast partners. First, let me say a word about Resurrection Sunday, or Easter, as some of you may call it. Remember, this is not a Sunday for the family to get all dressed up to go to church after the Easter egg hunt early on Sunday morning and having received gifts from the Easter bunny. No, that's not what it's about. It's about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago. A read of Matthew chapters 27 and 28 will reveal the record of this important event. When you look at Matthew chapter 27, verse 35, you'll see a record of the crucifixion. Matthew 27, verses 59 and 60 give us the details for the burial of Jesus Christ. And Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 6, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection are the gospel according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. And the book of Romans says, this is the way of salvation for each of us. The gospel is the power of salvation to everyone that believeth, the Jew first and then Gentiles. And I also want you to remember at this time that the first coming of Jesus Christ and what he did during his 33 years on earth, are a guarantee of the rapture happening as well. That rapture foretold in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, and the book of Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, when we see the record of John the Revelator being caught up into the heavenlies, a picture of the rapture of the church before all judgment breaks loose during the seven-year tribulation period, as foretold in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, through chapter 19 and verse 10. The reports from our broadcast partners today reveal to us how close that rapture may well be. For example, Ken Timmerman, he reports on geopolitical activities for us, and he talked about the 25-year deal between China and Iran with an investment by China of $400 billion, that's a B, $400 billion in Iran as the major sponsor of state terrorism, an Islamic republic that wants to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. 
David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update when he reported that Jews went up onto the Temple Mount during Passover week, the most sacred spot in the entire world for the Jewish people, being able to go up during Passover week in order to pray. Winky Madad talked about the Biden administration, who this last week released their report on human rights, which contained the reaffirming of Jerusalem as the political capital of the Jewish state and Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. John Rood, who covers the European Union, talks about Iran and their threat to the European Union after the COVID crisis is over and what happens in the future should the rapture has not taken place. Again, Iran, Ezekiel 38.5, mentioned as Persia, and the European Union, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, Daniel chapter 7, are major players in the end times. We talked with Sam Rohr. He was a state senator in Pennsylvania for over 20 years. He knows the political arena. And we talked about protection of America at their southern border. We did that not only from a political perspective, but from a biblical perspective as well. And then David James and I had our weekly conversation, and we focused on the threat to Christian education, especially as it relates to higher learning institutions and their connection, for example, with basketball and March Madness. If you did not have an opportunity to hear all six of our broadcast partners with their reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, that will be on the right-hand column of the home page as you scroll down, and there you will find all six of the reports archived and ready for you to listen to them at your convenience. All of these events reported by our broadcast partners evidence that the rapture is indeed very close at hand. In fact, it could happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, there's nothing left for me to say except Have a blessed Resurrection Sunday, and let's keep looking up for that rapture until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.